0: welcome to the Trust Your Body Project. Trust Your Body Project is a podcast and social media movement designed to help you heal, eat, and create space for the things that truly matter. I'm your host, Whitney Catalano. I'm an anti-diet, health-at-every-size-registered dietitian, helping you stop dieting, make peace with your body, and take the power back from your inner bully. Hello welcome to podcast episode number five I think I'm pretty sure it's five I'm all mixed up right now on today's episode I'm talking about my tweet that went viral but specifically so for those of you who don't know I tweeted a pretty well I'll just read it I said, can we stop pretending like diets in 2019 are any different than old diets just because they've been repackaged for health? Keto is Atkins. WW Freestyle is still Weight Watchers. (laughs) Shocker. (laughs) Intermittent fasting is just skipping meals. Low carb is the new low fat and they all still don't work. So I then explained it with like a probably like 50 tweet thread. But I'm gonna, I wanna explain it in my podcast. I wanna go through and talk about it because you may not have time to go read the whole thread or the attention span, which I hear ya, but, <laughs> um, and you may just want to hear me talk about it like I do because I feel like that's going to clear up a lot of the confusion and then after this episode airs, I can answer any questions and we can really just like, you know, dive deep on this because I know that it triggered a lot of feelings and I really want to, um, yeah, I really want to dive into that. That's what we're going to be doing today and I'm going to really skip the appetizer and dessert section. I'm just going to kind of dive in and like explain all of it. So this is a little bit different. Before we do that, this podcast is brought to you by my Patreon. If you want to join a community of supportive and compassionate people dedicated to healing their relationships with food, head on over to WhitneyCatalano.com slash podcast to learn more. That's WhitneyCatalano.com slash podcast. By becoming a monthly patron, not only will you get loads of exclusive content and support from me, but you will also be directly supporting the creation of this podcast, which I am always grateful for. This week in the Facebook group, we are, I think, almost done with 10 weeks of intuitive eating Um, and we're just chatting honestly like it's just been good we've had a ton of people join since this thread actually which has been awesome we have girls guys and non-binary people so I'm loving that this group is so inclusive we have people of all sizes of all sexual orientation of all abilities or a lot of abilities not all obviously but like yeah I'm just like feeling really pumped up <laughs> about this because what a cool just it's so cool thank you thank you for all the people who have joined like y'all are freaking awesome let me tell you so we have no new uh, podcast shout outs for team truffle salt but if you would like to be shouted out on the podcast you can join team truffle salt at my patreon it's whitneycattelander.com slash podcast and you'll learn more and you can head on over to my patreon the direct patreon link is patreon.com slash trust project but you can get there through my website and I definitely recommend Going to check out my website in case you you know want to learn more about the podcast or you want to check out my blog posts. I have just tons of information over there, so you should definitely head on over and let me know what you think. And then thank you to N Carson two three three two for leaving a review on Apple Podcast. Again, if you leave a review on Apple Podcast, I will shout you out, um, which is fun. I love that and and Carson 2332 said a really nice thing they said this podcast is so important to restructure the way we think about weight in our country this is a must listen so thank you for that honestly that's awesome and like i think that this episode in particular is like really um living up to that so I hope you're ready. <laughs> so, a quick reminder that right now I am filling my group program, Jumpstart to Food Freedom. This is the last week that I will be filling it for this round. I will be launching again in June, which means I'll be taking calls in April and May to fill the June launch date. Um, So I'll be starting this program over again because I just already know that this program is going to be a huge success and I'm very excited about it. And so, yeah, if you want to start healing your relationship with food and not only that, but really start to question the things that you've been told about your body and the things that you've been told about your self-worth and what you deserve in this world, Jumpstart to Food Freedom is the program for you. It is, I am like taking everything. This is not just reading the intuitive eating book or reading any other books and like, Understanding the concepts, right? This is really you being held in this process, you questioning the stories that you've been told throughout your life about your body and about food and breaking through those and really stepping into your most authentic self. So, I'm a big believer, like I say in this podcast, that this is a space to heal, eat, and create space for the things that truly matter. That program is an embodiment of that. You will truly be able to create space for the things that truly matter because you will be stepping into your free self, your authentic self who exists right now. By the way, I want to just tell you that, that if you can't afford to do a program or can't afford to hire me, maybe you can't even afford to be a patron, which is totally fine. You are exactly who you need to be right now. And there's nothing wrong with you. And that is what I want to show you in this group and I want, what I want to lead you through. And, and I'm going to lead you through how your limiting beliefs, and I am going to do this in the podcast too, how your limiting beliefs might be getting in the way of the way you see yourself. So we're going to be talking a lot about that. And then the final... Disclaimer, and I think this is super important for this episode too. Is a quick disclaimer that the information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and is not a substitute for individual medical or mental health advice. Okay, so let's get into this tweet because this is juicy. (laughs) I don't know if that's the best word to describe it, but here we are. So. To be totally honest with you, so this is the second time that I'm actually recording this because the first time I um, use the word triggered a lot because it's slang. So while I do talk about triggers as like an actual, you know, something that triggers a traumatic memory or something like that, like in trauma healing and in disordered eating recovery and diet recovery. Um... I also got into the bad habit of using it kind of, you know, flippantly as slang. And so I want to apologize if I've ever tweeted anything um, that use that word in an inappropriate way. I got called out on Twitter recently for using that word inappropriately, like using it too casually. And that was actually after I recorded this. And then I was like, oh, gosh, OK, I have to go back and re-record this. So I want you to know that I'm learning. Um Yeah, so that's what's up. (laughs) Okay, so this tweet um, really angered a lot of people and I can definitely say that it um, got people really riled up and really defensive. So for those of you who don't have Twitter, a thread is when you basically like reply to your own tweet for as many times as you want. So you're adding tweets on so that people can go look at all of them in consecutive order. I will link to the entire thread in the show notes. I will also link to, there's a little bot on Twitter that like unrolls the tweet on a web page so that if you don't have Twitter, you don't have to like go on to that platform to read it. So I'm going to link all of that. But there's kind of a few things that I want to talk about with this thread because not only were I getting, you know, um, very strong like responses from people who do keto and people who do intermittent fasting being like, you don't know what you're talking about. Hilarious. I really got no responses about Weight Watchers, maybe like one or two people being like, Weight Watchers does work. And I was like, okay. But no one argued with me that like Weight Watchers freestyle is any different from Weight Watchers, which is hilarious. Um, But yeah, so I got a bunch of people like keto and IFers. That's what I'm calling y'all. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) That's a terrible nickname. Uh, Responding and just being like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're ignorant. So I want to like clarify something really quickly because I also got dietitians who practice functional medicine in particular really mad at me. Um, and I want you all to know that just because I'm anti-diet does not mean I'm anti-medical nutrition therapy. And I cannot believe that we are at a point in our career for as long as the health at every size movement has been around that. I still have to explain this when I call out like keto or paleo or something like that. When I call out some of these things, I am not here to make you feel bad about the way that you practice healthcare. I am not here to call out medical nutrition therapy. I'm not trying to, you know, say that you're styles of treating your clients are worse than mine. What I'm trying to say is these things and the reason why this conversation has gotten so confusing is because these like diets that are being studied for medical nutrition therapy purposes are also being studied for weight loss and have been completely taken out of their original context on the internet and are being sold for weight loss without any evidence to support the use of them for weight loss and the versions of these diets that people are doing around the world for weight loss are so restrictive so harmful like it's and and they're convincing themselves because of what random bloggers on the internet are saying is like evidence, right? So then these people who don't know how to read scientific research, like, you know, reading scientific research critically is so hard, I'm still learning how to do it. So then the general public who is taught to hate their bodies and who is taught to... You know, make their entire life about weight loss are completely misled by what is considered to be evidence based. And that is my problem. So, if you are a dietitian and you're concerned about me talking about these diets because you've helped a lot of clients with them, I'm going to assume that because you're a dietitian, you're practicing from an evidence based place. And that you are aware of the risks of disordered eating, that you are aware of the health at every size research. And if you're not, then like this is a great chance for to learn about it and just to be able to like give your clients um, the full understanding of what the risks are of dieting before you engage in something like that. But then also like, I'm just gonna assume that you are practicing in a way that feels ethical for you. And I would hope you would do the same for me. The other thing is, that if you are just a, you know, part of the general population, just a consumer, just someone who's here to learn and listen and learn how to trust your body. Um, I never, ever, ever want you to feel bad for dieting. My issue is not with you ever, 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 ever. My shtick, if you will, is with the people who are selling these diets as a new, some sort of groundbreaking, you know, the, the thing that's interesting, and um, we're going to talk to Caroline Dooner soon, uh, who's the author of The Fuck It Diet, more about this, is that these diets are, these weight loss diets are sold to the masses, so sold to the general public, as both groundbreaking and like ancient understandings of physiology or whatever. Like it's so contradicting the marketing around these various different diets. And they are so similar to old diets. Like they're, they're so similar. And yet the minute that you say, oh, look at all of this research, even if the research isn't legitimate, even if the research is... Basically, people are sending me randomized control trials for like keto and intermittent fasting. Um... That only lasted a few weeks. We already, uh, okay, I'll get into that. But these, these studies on these diets are being taken really out of context and being misquoted, misrepresented in the media. And just because it's like for health now, as opposed to just explicitly for weight loss, that's why this conversation gets so confusing because people are quick to be like you don't know what you're talking about this is saving my life na, na 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 that's great if this is something that is like really you know freeing you of your disease or helping you manage a disease or whatever it is then like don't let what one tweet or one tweet thread Take that away from you. So basically what I'm going to do, I'm basically just going to go through and kind of like talk about the major talking points in my tweet thread because I think it's really important. And yeah. So the first thing I did was lay some ground rules and I kind of already talked about some of them. So the first thing is like I follow a code of ethics. I believe that what I'm doing here is ethical. And if you're a dietitian and you have a problem with that, um, talk to me, please. (laughs) Thank you. Um... The second thing I said is if you're going to fight me on this thread, you know, show research. So obviously that didn't happen. Um, But I did actually some people did send me randomized control trials. And this is what I was going to say before is that like anecdotes are not research. Right. So I'm really, really sick of people messaging me and being like, oh, you know, my uncle's grandpa, you know, lost weight on keto. Cool. I don't care. Like that means nothing to me. Also, like was that uh, two months ago? Because. Like talk to me in five years, you know, like that's the whole point, And we'll get into some of that research soon. Um, so anecdotes are not research. And that's really, really important because I care about if we have so much research, so much evidence to show that dieting is the most important risk factor for the development of an eating disorder and that the pursuit of weight loss is linked to very like serious Health problems and worse health outcomes than if you were to never diet at all. Then I need some really solid research to recommend that a general population of people goes on a, di- a particular diet for the pursuit of weight loss. As a practitioner, I need research in order to recommend something that outweighs any of the harm that's being done by dieting. Again, I am not talking about medical nutrition therapy and I should not have to say this. I'm not I don't know what your symptoms are, I don't know what your disease is, I don't know what you're experiencing. And if you with the with the help of your healthcare team or maybe you don't have the privilege of being around a being with a healthcare team, but you, you know, whatever, if you want to try something for your disease, all I would like you to do is understand the risks. And I think that any one of your healthcare providers needs to be communicating the risks of developing an eating disorder and the risks of what can happen from dieting, like weight cycling and, you know, um, hormonal issues and your metabolism slowing down and all of these other things that can happen as a result of dieting. These things need to be communicated with you so that you are making an informed decision. This is a, this is a issue of informed consent. So if you're a healthcare provider and you're listening to this and you're like, well, I know that keto has really helped some of my patients. Cool. Okay. Like it's sick. You know, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you know your clients better than I do. You know, what's going to help them better than I do. I don't know your clients, I don't know the way that you practice, I don't know what they need help with, and I don't know I don't know their quality of life. What I care about is people's quality of life being improved. And from what the research shows, dieting in the pursuit of weight loss does not generally lead to a better quality of life. And in a lot of ways, it can harm your quality of life. So if you have a disease where a diet is going to benefit your quality of life, then you know, that's your prerogative. Don't let me don't let me and a tweet thread influence your emotional reaction. You know what I mean? Like influence what you think is working for you, because that says to me, honestly, that says to me, if you are really, really riled up about this tweet thread and you're you're feeling really, really angry and defensive about it, that says to me that there's something in it that is speaking to you. So please, my point of this tweet thread is to empower you. Um, And I'm going to explain how you can use some of this information, because I think by my explanation of how to use this information Um, was not the best. So I want to expand on that in this podcast. So when I say that keto and intermittent fasting are just new forms of old diets or that intermittent fasting is just like skipping meals, a lot of people are really angry with me about that. And here's the thing that I saw about the intermittent fasting. And I think I want to do an entire podcast where I actually have someone help me um, comb through all the research around keto and IF and really dive into them because I think that would be really interesting and I just like haven't combed through the research as thoroughly. So I also want to make that super clear But one of the things that I have found through doing like preliminary looks at some of the research and some of the statements by these big governing bodies. So like Dietetic Association of Australia put out a statement about both of these things um, is that the way that they're being done in the media is very different than the way that they're being studied in scientific research. And You know, a lot of people were saying that, oh, well, IF isn't skipping meals because I actually eat all of my meals just in a smaller window. One, that's actually not how it's being researched as far as I can tell. Intermittent fasting is being studied as actually alternate day fasting, I think is what it's called in the research. It is looking in weight loss studies. It is being looked at from the perspective of you eat less on those days that you're doing the fasting. So like people were saying that, you know, this is like, you know, proper IF isn't skipping meals. I mean, kind of technically it is (laughs) like technically, according to the research that I've read. And if you have, again, randomized control trials that are done on human beings um, to show me, please, please send them to me. Podcast at winniecatalano.com. Please send them to me. And I'm happy to look over them. And I'm going to I think I'm just going to hire like a research assistant for a couple hours and we're going to go in on some of this research and figure it out. Okay, so that's kind of all I'm going to say about those two, because I just I'm just going to save it. You know, my big point to all of this is that regardless of what method you're using to restrict calories there is no evidence that these things result in long-term weight loss period end of sentence okay and that's what we're really going to focus on today and again I am not blaming you for doing any of these diets or thinking that you need to diet or thinking that you need to lose weight or all of these things we live in a very fat phobic Society and some of the things that I talk about, a quick warning here, um, content warning, trigger warning, is that I'm gonna be talking about weight stigma and fat phobia and the way that it is perpetuated in our medical system. And I do not blame you for feeling like you have to diet or you have to lose weight in order to be accepted. I am trying to empower you, and I will explain this towards the end, I'm trying to empower you um, with more information. So I hope that this podcast helps clear some of that up. So I start off by talking about how I'm a health at every size provider, meaning that I take a weight neutral approach to health. So our current medical system practices a weight centric approach to health, um, which is not only not supported by research, but it's actually doing more harm than good. Because in a weight centric model, Doctors will frequently see fat people for many reasons prescribe weight loss as the treatment, even if it has nothing to do with the condition. So there's always, you know, always those um, stories online or, you know, personal accounts online of people talking about how they went into the doctor for like strep and then the doctor told them to lose weight and they're like, OK, but what what about my strep throat? Like, and just like, you know, people going genuinely misdiagnosed or undiagnosed for years because of their body because doctors just write them off which I think is medical negligence and is grounds to have your medical license revoked honestly like I I, that to me makes my blood freaking boil but yeah um, there's actually a study so well okay first let me talk about why this weight centric model and why this like focus on people needing to lose weight for health and that like weight loss is even possible for most people why this is problematic so people in bigger bodies receive worse medical care are treated worse in society are less likely to be paid fairly or have equal access to jobs physically often cannot fit in many public spaces and have worse health risks and this has to do with weight stigma and this also has to do with like body privilege so the fact that our world is made for people in smaller bodies despite the fact that we have body diversity um and weight stigma is basically the weight iteration of being stigmatized or oppressed or marginalized for your sexual orientation or your abilities or disabilities, your um, or, you know, for your ethnicity or whatever it is, if you're in a marginalized group. So weight stigma is the experience of being marginalized, stigmatized, oppressed because of your weight. And one of the points that I make is that the O word epidemic or the weight epidemic is what I'll call it, is responsible for perpetuating the harmful effects of weight stigma. I'll link to all of the resources that I provided in this tweet in the show notes, but there's one study um, that shows that weight stigma can trigger physiological and behavioral changes linked to poor metabolic health and increased weight gain. So this is just to show that like, I, I don't like to focus on how things can cause weight gain because I think that also perpetuates it, but this is just to show that our like hyper focus in our medical community on the weight epidemic is actually making people unhealthier and doing the exact opposite than it was intended for which was to like help people lose weight right and to like basically shame people into losing weight which is just, like who the fuck thought that was a good idea um it's actually doing the exact opposite because it's causing people to gain weight <laughs> um so like you know if you really are concerned about this and you're not just like i think a lot of this like Consistent concern about weight is just like people's refusal to let go of their biases and refusal to let go of their identities within dieting so like in within diet culture people have really strong identities and I'll talk about that in a minute um because if you're actually concerned about health if this if the weight epidemic was actually coming from a place of like oh I'm concerned for people's health and I want them to be better not to say that everyone who is a you know weight loss person like weight loss doctor or physician or whatever is like coming from a negative harmful place but if you were actually genuinely concerned with promoting health and people in bigger bodies you would not, you would look at this research because <laughs> this research is like, ah, so important. Okay, anyway, um, the other the reason why I don't say the O word, and I said I would talk about it soon, so here I'm talking about it, is that the Latin root of O word literally means to eat yourself fat. So then when we talk about that word morbidly O, you know, um, we're, you're literally saying to eat yourself to death it's so harmful. It's so harmful. I also want to point out that people are always like, well, it's a disease. We need to treat it like a disease. Okay, well, it was only classified as a disease in 2013 for insurance purposes by the American Medical Association, even though their research committee so basically they had a research committee get together and they were like hey we need to figure out if we should make this a disease or not the research committee came back after looking at all the research and being like we don't recommend it like across the board not a good idea and the ama was like well i think we can get better insurance reimbursement if we make it a disease so i don't really care what you say and then they freaking made it a disease and that in itself is perpetuating weight stigma okay Also, for people who were like, no, people in bigger bodies don't receive worse health care. Well, in one study, a sample of 2,284 physicians showed strong, explicit and implicit anti-fat bias. Anti-fat bias is associated with beliefs that people who are fat are lazy, weak-willed and bad. And physicians with anti-fat bias are more likely to report fat patients as a, quote, waste of time. Um, physicians will flat out refuse the same medical exams and treatments for fat people than they offer thin people. People in bigger bodies are more likely to avoid health care completely in order to avoid being stigmatized. And that's something that I hear all the time. So this is a problem, and part of the reason why I wanted to share all of this research, all of this you know information about health at every size, and weight stigma, and all of these things, because I know that this actually can be very, very triggering for people in bigger bodies, especially hearing it for the first time, because it brings up a lot of that like it can trigger those feelings and i say that intentionally it can trigger those those memories and and feelings of being stigmatized for your weight and i understand that and i and i'm sorry i don't want to cause anyone pain by reading through this or hearing this information but what i would hope is that the outcome of this is that we can take some of this information that you, wherever you know you are, you can take some of this information, print out some of these studies, print out some of this information on weight stigma and on um, you know, anti-fat bias and health at every size, and you can actually take it to your doctor, even if you don't have a health at every size doctor around you, that you can take it to your doctor and say, hey, before you recommend weight loss one more time, please look at this research. That is what I would hope that you would get out of this. And again, I will have all of this information linked so that you can just have them ready to go. Have a file, just print them all out, have a file ready to go when you go see a new doctor and say, hey, I'm not gonna be okay with you recommending weight loss. I need real treatments, okay? Then I made a little tongue in cheek tweet. And I was like, now you're probably wondering, but Winnie, why don't fat people just lose weight? Then they won't be stigmatized. Great, and super problematic and fatphobic question. Well, for starters, fat people are not thin people trapped in fat bodies. Weight diversity is as normal as height diversity. And there are a ton of biological and physiological mechanisms keeping the body from losing weight. That is probably one of the most important parts of this entire thread because it's just the case. Yes, people gain weight for various different reasons. Yes, not everyone, you know is genetically predisposed to be in a bigger body who is currently in a bigger body. Dieting leads to weight gain. You know, hormonal conditions lead to weight gain. Environmental pollutants lead to weight gain. So there's a lot of things contributing here, right? And there's a lot of things keeping us from losing weight. What I'm saying is that we cannot treat And it is not okay to treat every person in a bigger body as if they are just a lazy, thin person who let themselves go because it's not, that's, ah, it's not true. It's so annoying. Like, that's so, so harmful. And if you can't see how harmful that is, like, you really need to look at your own biases about bodies. Okay, so the following things that I'm about to share with you about why diets don't work, um, most of them come from a citation that I um, that I love. I personally am obsessed with called A Clinician's Guide to Acceptance-Based Approaches for Weight Concerns by Margaret Berman. I'm hoping to have her actually on the podcast at some point because her book is like literally my favorite. There's also a version just for like consumers. So if you're not a clinician, it's just kind of like a guide. To acceptance acceptance-based approaches, or I don't remember what it's called, but they're both like next to each other on Amazon. So if you search Margaret Berman again, I'll link to all of this. So when I say diets don't work, I mean that they don't work (laughs) and they don't work long term. So yeah, we have plenty of evidence to show that diets work really, really well in the first year. Like, that's not the problem. The problem is that After the first year, the weight starts to come back on, even in studies where the participants maintain their dieting behaviors or add on even more restriction, more exercise, and do more. The weight still comes back on because the body is literally fighting starvation. So what we see basically is this sort of check mark effect. In the studies. When you look at all the studies together, and I included um, a screenshot or like a picture from her book that shows a bunch of the studies on a graph together. And what we see is this sort of checkmark thing happening that at one year is the lowest amount or the like greatest weight loss, so the lowest amount of weight. And then it starts to go up basically to baseline. Some of the studies included did not see this like dramatic increase in weight gain after one year. And Margaret Berman talks about the fact that in those studies and particularly in one in this picture, the researchers actually removed 19% of the sample, so 19% of the people who were originally in the study were excluded from the final analysis of how the study went because they failed to lose any weight at all. They failed to lose the required 5% of their initial body weight in the initial trial, and so they were not included in the final analysis, which is bonkers. Bonkers. Literally, it drives me crazy that research studies can leave out a fifth of the participants because they didn't achieve what they set out to achieve. That's called bias. (laughs) Like, that's ridiculous. This happens all the time. So another thing that Margaret Berman talks about in her book is that um, studies are just not published, like weight studies that don't see weight loss as a result are actually just like not published. So it's hard to really know how many of these studies have failed. Then there's meta analyses and, you know, comprehensive reviews that show that weight treatments on average cause weight gain over long-term follow-up and not weight loss. One of my favorite um, kind of studies, I guess it's not a study, but it's like a a review and a a piece um, in a peer reviewed journal about weight science is is this study that I shared with you, I think in episode two called Weight Science, Evaluating the Evidence for a Paradigm Shift. And I'm gonna link to that again. It's a really easy read and it really breaks down down a lot of the misinformation that you have about weight and its risk for morbidity and mortality and its risk for you know things like heart disease and um cl- high cholesterol and heart attack and you know all these things like it, it really in diabetes like it goes through all of these things and explains the research so if you're really new to all this but you want to learn more that's where I would start because it's very very easy to read and um it's honestly really eye-opening um a statistic that I left out is so there is a statistic from a paper in 2011 that showed that 95% of dieters regain the weight that was lost within two to five years of the initial diet. This is also where we hear those numbers thrown around that one third to two thirds of the participants in weight loss study regain even more weight than was initially lost. So I will include all of that um, so why is failing diets harmful? Cause you might be thinking like, oh, I might be in the 5%, like there's still 5% of people who are, you know, quote unquote, successfully dieting. So why is it harmful? Well, the reason why it's harmful is because we have this research that shows us that dieting failure increases risk of depression, anxiety, um, worsen cardiometabolic health, eating disorders and weight cycling. And I just wanna also clarify that like, you are not failing the diet, the diet is failing you, but I specifically use like the failing diet language because that's what people understand. There's even studies that show that engaging in health behaviors like exercising or eating more fruits and vegetables actually predicts weight gain when the behaviors are done with the intention of trying to lose weight. So even if you're like, oh, I'm trying to lose weight, but like, you know, I'm not going on a diet, but I am trying to lose weight still. And you start engaging with these behaviors. There's something there that's causing this sort of rebound reaction to happen to happen. Dietary restraint, which is like the fancy research term for dieting and like restricting your food also leads to food cravings, particularly for high fat, high carb and high sugar foods, as well as loss of self-regulation over eating and binge eating. And this is one of the biggest things that we see. So when people talk about feeling addicted to sugar, or people talk about, you know, binge eating, feeling out of control and trying to control your binge. Well, restriction and the diet is actually causing those things to happen. So that's really, really important to understand because what's happening here is your body is literally rebelling against dieting because it's trying to survive. Not only is it going to psychologically rebel, so that sort of last supper effect that happens when you're like, oh, I'm going on a diet tomorrow, but tonight I'm gonna eat everything in sight because tomorrow I'm starting fresh, right? So you have that sort of mental rebellion, but you also have these like physiological changes in the body that happen that um, are priming you to go find quick sources of energy because it's it thinks you're starving. It thinks you're in a famine. And when I talk about starving, I don't mean people who completely are not eating. I'm talking about like minor calorie restriction. So in one study, the Minnesota Starvation Experiment, and I'm gonna talk about this in a later episode because I don't have time to get into it right now. 36 men were put on an 1800 calorie a day diet for six months and they became obsessed with food, would hoard food, experience personality changes, emotional distress, irritability, fatigue, decreased sex drive, and difficulty focusing. Two men were excluded from the study for binge eating. And this is one of those studies, like this study was done in literally the 40s. And we've known about this. This is one of the first examples of what happens physiologically in the body and what happens mentally, like, you know, emotionally, psychologically, when you're on a calorie-restricted diet. And we still... (laughs) <laughs> recommend them to be it's just ah uh, so You know, the final thing that I want to say about this is that you are not a bad person for dieting and you do not have to explain why you either diet or not diet, like gave up dieting to anyone. You don't have to explain your body to anyone. You don't have to explain your body size to everyone. People are going to, yeah, probably demand explanations from you because it seems that thin people love to do that to people in bigger bodies is like, you know, interrogate them about why their body is the way that it is, which is just like absurd stop freaking doing that. But you don't owe anyone an explanation. You are autonomous in your body. What you want to do with your body is up to you. So please remember that I provide this information, like I said before, so that you are making informed decisions about what you want to do with your body, because this information is not talked about in the mainstream. It's not talked about on like the super fat phobic doctor programs like the doctors or Dr. Oz, you know, they're not talking about this information. And in fact, they're totally questioning the legitimacy of this research that we have had for decades and are continuing to get. Another thing I'll say is that we really need to stop telling each other how to eat or that we need, or you should lose weight for health or aren't you worried about your health or whatever. Not only does it perpetuate weight stigma and weight oppression, But it also perpetuates healthism, which is basically this sort of like superiority complex that happens around health. So it's like... Healthy people are superior to unhealthy people, and if you're unhealthy, it's your fault. Like that's basically what that is saying is like you should be concerned about the fact that you're unhealthy because it's your fault, and I'm better than you. So I want to be super, super clear that you are not morally superior to anyone just because you are healthy. You are also not necessarily responsible for your own health. I do like to look at you know the way that you feel being within your control, and the way that you make decisions about your health behaviors to be within your control, because I think that that. Can can be empowering, but it is Not by no means a moral obligation. And it also does not mean anything about you if you make decisions that are not healthy, right? Like if you're just eating to eat something because it's enjoyable, you eat sugar, or maybe you just like are in this rebellious phase, or maybe you just like don't give a shit. I don't care. Like I I only want to help people who want to be helped. And I want to leave people who alone who want to be left alone about it. (laughs) Like you, what you do with your body is up to you. And then finally, and and what I did with this tweet thread is I listed like probably 20 plus activists and researchers and people who I highly recommend you follow and read and, you know, absorb their information and knowledge because they I've learned from them. So I'm gonna link to all of them both in the show notes and in the blog post that comes with this episode because one of the last things I wanna say here is that you need to be listening to fat activists and like fat people when they talk about this stuff. It's so ridiculous to me that people listen to me over a fat person even if we're saying the exact same thing and that in itself is a display of how bias and weight stigma operates. So the moral of the story is just... I hope that this information empowers you to, if you're in a bigger body, to be ready with evidence if your doctor tries to recommend weight loss. I hope that you will be a little more critical of people who promise you weight loss because they really cannot promise that. They have no evidence to support that whatever they're selling you actually will lead to weight loss. And I also hope that you will be wary of any diet that that relies on restricting certain foods for the sake of weight loss. Disordered eating is a really slippery slope, and orthorexia, which is an unhealthy obsession with health, is very real, and those are the people that I help, people who become obsessed with dieting. The last thing I'll say, too, is that I totally left socioeconomic privilege out of this conversation, um, which is like definitely one of the most important things we need to be talking about, because marginalization, so being marginalized, and poverty— are two of the most important predictors for health, okay? I think are the two most important. They're the biggest risk factors for whether or not you're gonna develop a disease, being marginalized, like stigmatized, and being poor. So I have huge issues with the fact that like, you can work full-time minimum wage in this country and not be able to feed your family, not even be able to feed yourself or afford to live in a place that is comfortable, like, I will. We will talk about. We will continue to talk about socioeconomic status and like privilege, wealth in this country um, as we go forward. Because that, like, if you're really concerned about health, but you're also like, it's people's fault for like, no, 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 just sh- shut your mouth, <laughs> okay. But yeah. So one of the things I want to say is that like one of the responses I got really upset me and it was basically just like I'm making people feel hopeless and I'm making people feel like they have no other options that if they can't lose weight, that they're out of options and that they're gonna be miserable and hopeless forever. I am so, so sad if that is what you got out of this thread. My intention was to empower you. My intention was to equip you with research that you can take to a doctor and show a doctor and say, hey, I'm having health issues, help me. Don't just tell me to lose weight and put this on me. You're the doctor. Call call medical professionals out, you know, if you feel comfortable doing that. It, I I don't I don't want this to be something that is like, well, if I can't lose weight, I just have to give up. I would encourage you to look at those beliefs, question those beliefs and ask yourself, if I can't lose weight, what can I do? If you want to improve your health, if you want to improve your life, what can you do? You can do so much. You can start eating more fruits and vegetables, you can start moving your body body in a way that is not punishing, that is not, you know, restricting to one meal a day and like trying to desperately push yourself to the brink of exhaustion in the gym. You can start managing your stress. Oh my gosh, manage your stress. Find, Find people who can support you in this and start to really dig into those limiting beliefs that you have around what your body means for your life. Yeah, you're gonna face discrimination. You're gonna face stigma. That's the unfortunate reality. And if you are in any other marginalized body, whether you have a disability or you are black or you are you know of any other marginalized ethnicity or race, if you are transgender, or non-binary, if you identify with any of these things or exist in a marginalized body, you are unfortunately going to face oppression. And I am doing my best. And there are so many, all of the, the, the activists and advocates and researchers and healthcare providers that I'm going to link to are doing our best to advocate for you and support you and love you and try to make the world a better place and try to change the narrative around this stuff. We're, we're really trying. And if, this, if you are listening to this podcast and you were like, I am riled up and this is important and we need to be talking about it, there's room for all of us. Please join the fight, please. I don't care what body you're in, please join the fight. We need these conversations to be had. We need to dismantle these beliefs. And I know it can feel really scary to have your something that you thought you could control, your weight, be put in this context that shows us that we can't really control it like we thought. I know that feels scary, but it also could be liberating. Because you could never control it in the first place. You never had control over it to begin with. And maybe you do. Maybe you're in that 5% who does. In which case, like, you know, just say, screw me <laughs> and go and do whatever you're doing. Whatever, you know, don't listen to me. That, that's cool, too. Again, <laughs> you have autonomy here but if you never had control over your body in the first place and you've dedicated and 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 tied your entire identity into losing weight and dedicated your entire life into to losing weight then maybe even if it feels scary this is an opportunity to redefine what your life is about and what your purpose is and maybe you feeling threatened by this is an opportunity for you to look at why why do you feel threatened why do you feel triggered or upset or uncomfortable by this. And how can you start challenging the beliefs that you've held up until this point and maybe take steps that could totally revolutionize the way that you approach your life and the way that you approach your self-care and your your perception of yourself. So that's my that's my challenge for you and that's what I hope you got out of this thread. If I did any harm with this thread, I'm sorry. That was not my intention and I only hope that as we continue to share the research, we can reduce some of the harm that is being done unintentionally. Because I know that I'm human and I will do unintentional harm. But what I'm trying to do is limit the amount of unintentional harm that I cause. I'm trying to reduce it as much as possible. I'm trying to be aware of the things that I say or do that might be causing people harm. And I'm trying to educate and, and have these conversations so that we can move forward and be nicer to each other, be more compassionate to ourselves. I think a big takeaway out of this is that your body is trying to save your life. You are not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your body. Your body is trying to save your life. And I hope what you might get out of this is an opportunity to grieve the beliefs that you once held about your body. Grieve over the fact that you had parents or doctors or friends or whatever tell you that you are not worthy exactly as you are and try to fix and control and change your body and then decide what you wanna do for your body. You have the power to make the decisions for your body that feel right to you. And at the end of the day, that's all that fucking matters, that you make decisions that feel right for you, period. And if following a diet or trying to lose weight feels right for you right now, then please consider this just information. Informed consent. That's another part of this, right? Like I want you to be conf- I want you to be informed about what you're getting into when you start a diet because these diets aren't telling you the information. You are not consenting with the full information. And that is fucked up. <laughs> That's what really grinds my gears. <laughs> so I really really hope that if dieting feels right for you right now, that you do that, that you you do that. And then if you wanna give up dieting, I'm gonna be here and I'm gonna be with open arms, no judgment, just all love. You are so worthy exactly as you are and nobody can take that away from you. Even the most evil, horrible people in the world cannot take that away from you. As long as you are alive, you are worthy and you are loved. Please believe that. And if you don't believe that, let's talk, (laughs) because that's the work that I do with my clients is really embodying that because it's true, whether you like it or not. (laughs) It's it's true. (laughs) Um, I think I covered everything. This is a long ass episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I will talk to you soon. If you are loving the Trust Your Body Project podcast as much as I am, and you want to learn more about rejecting diet culture and taking the power back from dieting and healing your relationship with food and your body, then visit me at WhitneyCatalano.com slash podcast. That's WhitneyCatalano.com slash podcast, where you can find out more information about the Patreon group and to join my community. Um, And you can find all of the episodes along with the show notes and any articles that I link to throughout the Different episodes. So head on over to WhitneyCatalano.com slash podcast to learn more.